Konnichiwa, my friends. So here we are, Master Samurai Tech Radio, episode 24. Today is February 21st, 2018. Episode 24, as I said, and this one is your appliance repair biz. Got some good topics for you on your business today. I'm your host, Samurai Appliance Repairman, and with me, as always, is Mrs. Samurai. And uh, gosh, I think we're setting a record for uh, podcasts in a row. <laughs> we are. We're cranking them out a little bit more frequently now. We're going to try to do that uh, a little more regularly, maybe not uh, every week, but not try to go on such long hiatuses right, in between right. episodes. And we've got stuff to talk about, too, uh, that I think is going to be of particular interest to owner operators and people running their own appliance repair business of whatever size, and it's all about your business. We're gonna be talking in particular on the soft side, customer right. relations and strategic marketing, strategic market targeting, and the culture of dumbass that exists among some techs and how that affects your market. Oh yeah, we'll be getting into that. Right. Free and appliance repair ec uh, expos like in the HVAC industry. We'll be talking about that. You were going to say something, hon? Yeah, before we go too much further, I don't want to lose techs who might be employees because a, a number of the things we're going to be talking about applies to them as well. So it's not just for business owners. Uh, but, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah, soft skills are applicable no matter what capacity you do the business in, whether it's your own business, of course, you've got a very, very strong interest in uh, your customer relations and soft skills. But even as a tech working for someone else or another company, you've got an interest in this as well because that directly affects your feedback that customers give and ultimately your pay and your success in the profession. Right. So. Increasingly, we hear techs are being paid on commission. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so it affects that affects reviews that you get. And so all of it ties into your overall success and enjoyment really of doing appliance repair as a profession. So as I mentioned, the other thing we're going to be getting into is free appliance repair expos like in the HVAC industry. And what about those? And then finally, we're going to end up with talking about the upcoming Appliantology Peer Group Web Meeting. It's coming up this Sunday. And we'll just have a little plug in for that and help and get the word out on that. So, right. All right. So, customer relations and strategic business planning and strategic marketing. Really, here's a general rule of thumb, guys. In any, any business you're running, doesn't matter what it is, appliance repair, selling diamond rings, whatever it is, any business that you're doing, as a general rule of thumb, you want to target customers who have the money to buy what you're selling. It seems kind of obvious and common sense, right? It doesn't matter whether it's goods or services, but you want to target customers who can buy what you're selling. Here's the, here's the thing, and this is this general business sense. It takes the same amount of effort and expense to run a business targeting low-end customers, in other words, people don't have much money to spend on your good or service, uh, as it does to target high-end customers. So targeting low-end customers as a generalization is a low-margin, high-volume business if you're actually going to make a profit. That's how places like Walmart make a profit. It's low-margin but high-volume, and, and they're targeting that uh, lower-middle-class tier of uh, that's their sweet spot for customers. Uh, I know Walmart's taken a, pick, uh, a hit lately because of Amazon, it's in the news, but you get the idea, that's, that's the point. Versus targeting high-end customers is a high margin, but low volume business, or lower volume, I should say. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, it's all about your overall business strategy and your market area. 
What is your business strategy? Do you even have one? Sometimes you're in a market area that is low-end customers. You gotta, you gotta make use of that. Your strategy has to be able to adapt to be successful in that environment. So right. it's all about what's your preference and what's your situation. Right, and I think you, you hit on a, an important point there when you said, do you even have one? <laughs> Do you have you really thought through your business strategy? I think, um, and uh, lots of guys have. I mean, we were just at Asti not long ago, and you get a lot of sharp business owners there who've really thought through their business, and they they go there to get even more training on that and more insight. Um, but we always meet. You know, oftentimes it's either newer appliance repair businesses or um, struggling ones, and they they're just doing it, doing it. They really haven't stepped back to take that little bit larger picture view and consideration. What is my market? You know, am I making mistakes by just trying to take every job that comes in? You know, I got to serve thing. the whole area. It's about the vision thing. What is your vision for the business? Where do you want it to go five years from now, 10 years from now? How are you going to retire? Or are you going to sell it? Uh, ultimately, that, that's what it, you need to have a bigger vision because, you know, we as humans, we kind of work work that way. We need to have a vision that's sort of guiding us in what we're doing and sort of gives meaning to our day-to-day, -day, you know, turning the rat wheel that we that we all do, day to day in, day out. And then what's the point? Well, your vision gives you the point and it sort right. of gives, shows you where you go and keeps you on track for where you ultimately want to go. And it gives you something to compare with. Are you achieving your goals? Whatever they are, are you right. achieving the goals that you have set out for yourself? And you have to revisit it, <clears throat> excuse me, periodically because the market changes. The economics are shifting right. on us uh, in terms of some of the lower end appliances. Oh, gosh. Remember the day um, we've used the example before, maybe uh, VCRs. I remember back, uh, what, 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe it was that long ago, where VCRs used to be so expensive, it was worth it to get them repaired. And then eventually they came down in price so much that it just, they were throwaway items and they broke, you throw it away, you bought another one for, you know, 50 bucks or whatever tabletop uh, countertop microwaves went the same way so ultimately at first they were worth fixing and ultimately they were not and so you're kind of by the way there's a little aside this is a benefit with doing business by flat rate pricing using some flat rate guide like the blue book or something because you can pre-diagnose and then get an idea about based on the complaint and the model probably what it's going to cost to fix that appliance and then based on the type of appliance and probably what they paid and the replacement cost for it what's the likelihood that customer is going to actually go for the repair? And this ties into that low end, high end thing that I started out talking about. Right. Because on low end appliances, you've got lower replacement costs. Many repairs are not worth doing or at a decent margin anyway. It's just, it's just not the re your big enemy with low end appliances. Like for example, the Whirlpool vertical modular washer. Um, I, I would consider that a disposable washing machine unless it's going to be DIYable. Um, my own personal opinion, my own pricing point, that's my strategy. And our market, right. And, the the and cost of doing business where we live. Exactly. So don't take this as a generalization. It's just in our strategy, that is not an appliance that we target in our, in our marketing strategy. So because the replacement cost is so low, they, people go buy a, a replacement top load washer for 300 bucks and pretty much any repair you do on it's going to be like two to $300. So at that price, right. people are like, well, wait, I could buy a new one for $300. Yep, sure can. And maybe it makes sense for you to do that. Versus high-end appliances, you've got a much higher replacement cost. So most of your service repair, uh, service calls in that situation are going to end up being completed repairs, probably a decent margin. Different clientele also means that you're going to interact with these customers differently. So you're not going to conduct a service call with a customer. For example, you go on a call. 
to a, a trailer park home and the customer answers in a wife beater t-shirt with a huge beer belly. You're not going to conduct a service call and interact with that customer the same way as you would if you went to another home on a lakeside mansion uh, and a CEO in a business suit answers the door or his butler or somebody like that. You're going to do a complete, you're going to conduct that service call completely differently. They're cultural worlds apart. If you talk to the CEO customer the same way that you would talk to the guy in the wife beater t-shirt in the trailer home, you're probably not going to be asked back into the, that uh, home with the CEO in Lakeside Mansion. Similarly, uh, it works this, the other way as well that I've found. <clears throat> um, if you talk to the trailer park guy in the wife beater shirt, the same way that you would talk to a CEO, the CEO customer, that trailer park guy is going to be suspicious of you. He's going to think you're trying to bullshit him. Oh, trying to give me fancy talk. You're not <laughs> connecting with the customer where they are. And don't they call it like culturally aware communications or something. You need to connect with that customer. And that means you need to comport yourself differently in different situations. Right. Isn't there a, a thing uh, in communications where if you want to put someone at ease, you deliberately mirror them to a certain extent? I right. Mean, you don't and, be creepily copying them, but you know, <laughs> you're aware and you sort of mirror a little bit their posture, their way of talking. Because then we all do this. We then we feel like, oh, I'm, I understand this person. He's kind of like me. I can relate to them on on their on that level that I'm comfortable relating in, whatever that is. And so, yes, you need to you need to somehow comport yourself. And there's some mimicry that goes on, not overtly, but you're going to be handling yourself differently with different types of customers. To it builds trust. It it also establishes rapport. So these are things that it's just, it's just basic. You go to any business uh, training on communications and this is like 101 communications. This also ties into your appearance and how you comport yourself. This communicates to your target customers. So uh, you walk in, for example, with tats all over your arms, you know, you've got your tats uh, and they're coming up your neck and you got your piercings in your nose and your ears and stuff like that. Hey, that's great. I'm not making a personal statement about that. Uh, but just be aware that you are when you do that, you are selecting, hardwire selecting a particular type of customer. You're probably not going to be selecting the CEO customer in a business suit on a lakeside mansion. Um, and you're limiting your earnings potential. Now, if you're fine with that, if you have consciously made that decision, more power to you. Be warm and filled. Go get them. Uh, but if you have a neat and professional appearance, professional demeanor, you are going to be targeting higher end customers. You're going to have a much higher earnings potential. Again, I'm not making a value judgment, uh, but I am making you aware of the landscape that you may have not considered in your business strategy or in your professional strategy if you're a tech working for another company. Choice is yours, but make it a conscious choice and not an unconscious choice. So don't let your lifestyle decisions and your expressions of you know personal who you are-ness limit your potential. If you're good with that, if you're good with just, you know, making a buck 280 an hour and all the water you can drink, then hey, go get them. That's, that's great. There's another consideration and that it's the last number I heard on this was uh, roughly 70, I think, if I'm remembering right, 70% of the time when you go to a home, it's the, the woman of the house who will be there. And women naturally are going to feel a little bit more vulnerable than a man would having a stranger, if it's the first time using your company, come into their home. So that's yet another incentive to do what you can to, to look and sound and comport yourself in a way that's going to put uh, her at ease. That's right. I mean, you walk in looking like scary dude, you know, with the long ponytail and the, and the devil tats all over the place. 
most women, unless they also are, you know, like a biker babe or something like that, uh, nothing wrong with biker babes, but uh, if that's the customer, hey, you have connected, you have culturally connected with the biker babe customer. A lot of women though are not like that. So you're gonna go into a house that it's not a biker babe, just regular um, mom or, or working woman at home. And uh, you're not gonna probably be connecting with her on a, on a real deep or comfortable level. Just something to be aware of and put on your radar. And this also kind of ties into this other thing I wanted to talk about, this culture of dumbass that exists among a segment of the tech population. Uh, it's kind of this thing where it's, some techs think it's cool to be dumb. You know, it's like this uh, talk like an ignorant blue collar worker uh, versus a trained and highly skilled technician. Uh, it could, this could be crassness in the way you communicate, uh, communicate or a, uh, limited vocabulary in the way you're explaining things, or you speak in an overly loud voice, you know, you're ineloquent. Or the other thing that I see uh, that's become gitchy with a lot of texts is this whole vocal fry. It's big with, with uh, some girls you see on YouTube. Hi, guys. They're doing that vocal fry thing. It's yeah, it's more odd. like this. Oh, that. that vocal okay. fry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a male equivalent of that, and that, that's where they talk like this. You know, like Richie from Boston. Yeah, and I, I talk like a dumbass and I'm grinding my vocal cords here, all right? It, 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 again, nothing wrong with that, but you are selecting a certain customer. You are not gonna be clicking with the CEO uh, on the Lakeside Mansion with the Sub-Zeros and all of the other really nice high-end appliances like that. Yeah, you're gonna sound like a tough guy, maybe, if that's, if, but if that's what you're going for kind of left over from high school. That's what, that's what these really are. My, my theory, this stuff comes from, it's let these social constructs left over from the government day camps in high school. And these guys have not gotten beyond that. Um, so it's kind of an arrested development kind of thing. Right, but, maybe a defensiveness if they weren't super great students. You know, they had to put on the swagger even if it, it you know, wasn't really Or maybe they don't warranted. have a good voice. I mean, you, you just want to talk mellifluously and if maybe they don't have a good voice they don't like the way their voice sounds so they compensate by talking like this you know and I, i'm gonna put on the dumbass accent to go along with it see who says i can't do a yankee accent that's that's pretty you're yankee, getting right better there. at it yeah it only takes me what how long we've been up in new hampshire uh, 24 20... years i think it's only yeah. taken me that long to finally uh figure out how to do it <laughs> i'm so proud thank you thank you so yeah it's this culture of competence versus a cesspool of swagger. And hey, did you just make that up? Thank you, thank you. Do you <laughs> like that? <laughs> and that's kind of, that's, that's a different thing. You wanna cultivate a culture of competence and exude competence. You know what you're doing and you're gonna take care of this problem and you're gonna communicate it with them in a way that, that they can relate to versus a cesspool of swagger. You know, you're gonna swagger around and, and you're gonna talk like this and you're gonna be ineloquent. Okay, but that's okay to do that, but you're limiting yourself when you do that. So as long as you have made that choice, go get them. Right, this is all part of our effort to uh, continue to raise the professionalism of the profession. And it is, it's, it's, it's really, uh, there's kind of a psychological thing. People think of a distinction between a trade versus a profession. And what, how would you describe that distinction? trade versus profession well and i don't want to talk down about trade it, it, it's a fine distinction i think you know but a profession is somebody who is puts their own time in to build their competence 
They never uh, stop learning. They, they realize they need to keep growing in their knowledge base. Um, what would you say? I'd say exactly, and, and a trade really, when it's mature, when somebody is practicing a trade and they've become competent at it, it should become a profession. You should own it. You should internalize it. You're, you're, put, you're putting in time, your own time after hours. You're not, you don't have this hourly clock puncher mentality. You're spending your own time after hours to keep up with technology, keep up with the latest way of uh, pricing or the way, latest way of delivering service. You're doing things, this is what professionals do. They spend their own time keeping up on their profession. Just and so professions to me, that's an uh, is an artificial distinction. Like lawyers, engineers, doctors, and all that stuff. We, we classically think of those as professions. Well, in that same vein, there's no reason that appliance repair techs should not be professionals because they are putting in their own time to up their game. And that's really the distinction versus a trades guy with that trade that classic trades mentality is just I'm off the clock. All right, now I'm going to sit down on the couch and drink a bud and watch Gilligan. Right, it is kind of the, the hourly worker mentality, and right. that's why I like the the trend that seems to be increasing of paying techs on commission, because it gives them that added incentive and reward for being professionals. Right, exactly. And the other thing that professionals do is they don't become that customer. All right, then I see. <laughs> I see a lot of techs will do this, uh, and we all have them, by the way. You know who I'm talking about, that customer. We all have them, whether high end or low end, they're all over the spectrum. It's the customer that squawks about the bill, or they micro-inspect your work looking for little defects or something you didn't get quite right. Oh, hey, this was working before you touched it, and now it's not, you know, that kind of thing, you know, the witch hunt. Uh, or they're looking, they go and look up the parts price afterward and then come back and go, hey, the part only costs this much, you, cost, you, you know, you, that whole, we know that, we know that it's game. The, it's the customer that makes you want to just quit the business and move to a beach somewhere. And, <laughs> and, and then you just have to remind yourself, okay, for every customer like that, I have like a couple dozen who are awesome or maybe even more, you know, you just, it's like a mental effort just to remember right. that they are a very small percentage, but they just, they're such a pain. Small percentage, they are more prevalent on the low end in that low end market spectrum than on the high end, though they definitely exist on the high end. But our experience is that we tend, they tend to be just very prevalent on the lower end. Uh, I just want to caution you, don't become that customer yourself by acting that same way to the other businesses that you patronize. Uh, and the irony is that, uh, and I talked to a lot of techs, the techs who complain the loudest about, this, these about those customers they tend to be the very ones who have internalized that and have become that same customer. So just a caution, don't do that. Don't let the, the, the one percenters affect your attitude. And worst of all, don't internalize and become them in the businesses that you deal with. Right, that's something I actually noticed when, when we started our own business, so all those years ago, uh, I felt like I became a better customer to all the other little local businesses around here or service businesses. Um, I was a lot more understanding of what they go through in order to have their business. Well, and you realize too that it's tough to make it as a small business. In fact, the SBA stats are small businesses in the first five years, 90% of them go out of business. Most right. businesses, and they go out of business because they don't price themselves correctly, and so their cash flow is poor, and they just can't make it to pay the bills. Or they misread the market. Yeah, yeah. Dis or they have a bad marketing plan. But the dismal statistics, and you realize that 
most businesses are not out to screw you. It's just, this just doesn't work that way, especially ones that have been around for a long time. They're trying really hard to do a good job and please their customers. And some customers cannot be pleased. And so just a warning, don't be that customer. Don't be difficult to please. Don't internalize their attitudes uh, where you're complaining about everything and everyone. And I do see some techs doing that. So, uh, well, let's shift from that and let's get into the free appliance repair expo, just like what they have in the HVAC industry, like the uh, ABCO Expo 2018. Right. Yeah, we've seen some um, some people thinking, why can't we get manufacturer appliance manufacturers to do this? It'd be so awesome to have. You know, they could all why get set we? up. And what's the difference? Have I don't it get free. it. Because <laughs> people, you know, they they hear about ASTI, which you know has a registration fee and. Um, things like that. And they're like, why do we have to pay to go to these things? Shouldn't the manufacturers just do it? I mean, why don't they pay techs to go to these things? Better yet. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's a reasonable thing to ask if you're not sure, but uh, we did look into it a little bit. These HVAC expos have uh, thousands of attendees, first of all, you know, some 10 times the number that we can get at any of these appliance tech uh, gatherings like ASTI. Um, so that's one thing they have quantity going, you know, economy of scale. And the other thing is that the, uh, the people, the, the vendors at HVAC expos are actually selling things or trying to sell things that the HVAC uh, business owners are going to be buying throughout the year, all these materials and, and what have you, and then and selling units to their customers for appliance repair people. That's not our relationship to a manufacturer, right? It's not I mean, going to be going there buying appliances to resell. It's just not right. that type of event. It's a, it is purely a training event for technicians and for business owners. Right. And now, I, think I, I think it's awesome that they do training, that, that the manufacturers would even go to things like the, the ASTIs and, and PSAs events and the MSA event. I think it's awesome and kudos. And I'm, I'm grateful that the manufacturers do that because they really don't get anything out of it. It is a cost item for them. It is a net loss for them. Uh, but and it's a total benefit goodie perk thing that they do for the tech community. Right. So, thanks I mean, to I the manufacturers they... for doing that. I think it's uh, I think it's great. Uh, and they're, they're not get, they don't they stand nothing, nothing to gain out of this other than maybe getting a few techs who know their products a little better and aren't going to be guessing quite so much on service calls. Right. Now, I, I you know, I do think there is a, a benefit for the manufacturers in having a well-trained tech community, but it's a very difficult to define one. It's definitely not a direct, it's not in their profit line. They can't come back later and say, uh, they can tally up, yeah, we sold this number of units to this company that was at the event over there. And then they can show a, a net gain, a net profit on having attended the event and, and the expense of travel down there and, and and uh, uh, lodging and food and everything uh, to attend the event and put on the training. So I think if, if you go, if you're an appliance tech and you go to one of these events, uh, ASTI, PSA, uh, uh, MSA puts one on too every other year, I think. If you go to one of these, uh, let the manufacturers know that you appreciate them being there. Uh, who knows, they, they might pull out, they might not continue to go, but uh, we wanna definitely encourage them to continue to go because it brings a lot of value to us in the tech community. Right. They also tend to help sponsor the event. So they're not only spending money to be there to put on the training, but they are often chipping in extra to help sponsor the event, which makes it less expensive for the rest of us who are attending. That's correct. Yeah, very good. So 
All right, so that's that's the quick answer on that. Why it's a little different structure in the uh, in the appliance tech community. Relatively much smaller attended events, and really not much of a of a not much to gain for the manufacturers. So moving on from there, I just wanted to bring I just wanted to wrap it up with this final uh, thing. We got the Appliantology Peer Group Web Meeting coming up this Sunday, first ever. We're going to be doing a one of our Appliantology Web Meetings on Sunday. So it's this afternoon. You can go to, uh, well, we sent out a newsletter on it, but you can also go to Appliantology. And right there in the announcement block up front, you'll see one of the announcements is for, there's only two of them. One's for the webinar recordings. The other one is for the upcoming peer group event. Click into that, find out all about it. <clears throat> and if you're a tech member at Appliantology, that means professional appliantologists, MST alumni, uh, senior appliantology fellows, or legacy techs, then you are invited. All you have to do is just um, request the details in the calendar event and we'll send them right out to you. Right, and we should say this is Sunday, February 25th that it's right. going on in at, case people uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time, but all the details later. about particulars will be there at the calendar event, so they can get all that there. But I wanted to also just give a re brief recap on memberships, uh, tech memberships at Appliantology, limited, versus premium. Basically, those are both tech members. The, the free, uh, there, there's also non-tech members called grasshoppers. Um, and they only have access to the DIY section of the forums. But it, when tech members, there's limited and premium. And both, all tech members have access to all the tech-only forums. Uh, well, in the limited case to most of them. And they can uh, download manuals. Um, and you can read more about those. We've got another post at Appliantology that explains that. Uh, so, but it's possible, so limited tech members, they can download manuals, but it's one at a time. It's at a throttled speed to ensure that cert limited server resources are available for premium members. Um, and it's non, so it's non-simultaneous and at throttled speed. So you can only do one, one manual at a time. Versus the uh, premium tech members can download multiple manuals simultaneously at unthrottled speed. And they can also request manuals that aren't already in the huge and growing library service manuals. They have access to all of the tech forums, and they also have access to the library of technical training webinar recordings that are listed over there at Appliantology. But listen, it is possible for you to earn a free premium tech membership, that's, that's a senior Appliantology fellowship, without ever paying a single dime. Yeah, so just request, if you're a tech, and request a uh, legacy tech membership. And then there's expl explanations on how you can go about becoming a senior appliantology fellow there by doing a certain number of posts and by being around and having seniority there at the site. So oh, getting back to the peer-to-peer -peer training, and Ms. Samurai had to step away for a second. Um, uh, coming up here on the peer group meeting, we're gonna have peer-to-peer -peer training. Uh, so bring something to share if you're planning on coming. She's back. Uh, yeah, so bring something to share, uh, to share with the other members. We can pass the presenter role around, and it doesn't have to be a full-blown presentation, a little five-minute thing, whatever, uh, however long you want, pictures, whatever, just uh, or explanation on something weird that you found. could be technical or business. So uh, come prepared to share something with your brethren in the craft. Um, and so some of the other topics in the agenda that we have coming up for the, um, besides the peer-to-peer -peer training at the peer group meeting coming up this Sunday, Questions about appliantology and changes that you'd like to see to make it easier for you to use or questions on how to use it. Um, impressions from the 2018 ASTI that we just had down in St. Petersburg. Everybody's invited to bring and share your comments and impressions. Uh, and also another topic on repairing electronic control boards. 
is this a profitable business model for a large for a growing a small maybe small and growing appliance uh, repair company or meh is this just appliance trivial pursuit maybe kind of cool and fun facts to know and tell but is this really a profitable business model for a growing company so just like right, that and then some, anything else you bring i remember people stopping by our booth at asti and and chatting about that with us so that'll be interesting to talk about and get people's uh, opinions we have our yeah. own opinions but we like to hear other people's too <laughs> <laughs> probably gave a little hint about that and you know because so, some guys will change they think it's really cool they'll go and change out a couple capacitors on a board <laughs> i'll change and they think they know electronics uh, because they could change, they could solder, desolder, and resolder in some new capacitors. Um, you know, then then it gets into stock and capacitors, and doing, and then the type of customer who you would do that for. You know, it's, it's just all kinds of other variables that I don't think people are necessarily factoring in when they think about doing this uh, as a regular part of their service offerings. How much can you really make doing that versus targeting a higher end market like we started talking about at the outset? Right. So anyway, just a little preview on. Yes. So I've got a certain opinion on that. <laughs> yeah, I've got a certain opinion on that, and I'm sure people have differing opinions. That's cool. That's awesome. That's what makes the world go round. Bring them to the peer group meeting this coming Sunday. So, all right, Miss Samurai, I think that's a wrap. I think so. We oh. uh, we did pretty well time wise. We're trying yeah. not to ramble on too long on these things. Yeah. Try to keep it tight. Try to keep it moving along. So listen, thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. And I uh, hope it was interesting to you. And until next time, sayonara. Bye.